Religiosanity, episode 85. Back with Pastor Andrew. I want to return to an Ugaritic text we've discussed like two or three episodes ago. Okay. Uh, which is uh, known as uh, KTU 1.23. And uh, we named it after those uh, two newborn gods, uh, Shahar and Shalim. Yes. Uh, but uh, I also mentioned at the beginning that that name for that text uh, is uh, quite diverse, or modern names for the text. Uh, are quite diverse, like the Gracious Gods or Sacred Marriage Liturgy, or I have here another translation by Mark Smith, uh, who published that commentary we talked about, uh, Feast of the Goodly Gods, uh, uh -huh. and so on. So, uh, and we talked mostly about uh, those two deities which are being born, and we also touched upon the formal nature of the text. That yeah. It is a combination of liturgy, uh, ritual, and myth. That's right, I remember that, yeah. But this time I, I want to go a little bit more besides uh, those two newborn gods uh, of dawn and dusk uh, and, and look at the, those rituals. And uh, this time I would like to stay with the intuition of my professor from Edinburgh, Nicholas Wyatt, uh, who sees that as a ritual of marriage, you know, or the, the whole complex of ritual, liturgy and myth surrounding uh, marriage. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it is modeled on the marriage between uh, head of Pantheon, L. God L and uh, his uh, consort, spouse, wife, uh, Asherah, which is in this text kind of uh, split into two, mm -hmm. Asherah and Rahmai, which would be Asherah and womb in translation, oh. so, which is here a personification of female fertility. Uh -huh. And um, wait, was that common to just like take a part of a god that is beneficial mm -hmm. and make it, it something to pray to with its own name? <laughs> he hypothesized that uh, you you are putting a finger on something uh, here, Peter. Uh, we, we we mentioned earlier that uh, in Ugarit uh, that they quite commonly divided deities into right. couples, if you remember. Yes. I think it was like two or three episodes back. Uh, that is a feature of Ugaritic uh, mythology. Uh, so that is part of it. And then, yes, this uh, hypostasization, mm. if it is a word, I don't know, it uh, making be. it in hypostasy, yeah. you know, taking part and uh, lifting it up and making it into its own uh, uh, divine character is, is, uh, is something truly real here. Uh, and... Uh, but returning now back, uh, so here is this uh, divine marriage, and uh, definitely 
part of it is uh, alluded there uh, early on uh, is an uh, circumcision of God L. Uh, the allusion is taken from uh, uh, agriculture, from pruning vines. And uh, the pruner prunes him like a wine, the binder binds him like a wine. He is felt to the terraces like a vine. Mm. No, and that that is one of the uh, possible translations. Um, or those who prune the vine pruned him. Those who bind the vine bound him. They let the tendrils fall like a vine. That's even better, mm -hmm. I think. Here you can, uh, and you also see how diverse the translations can be yeah. here, but. Uh, that that is an illusion of circumcision taken from agricultural viticulture mm. and um, yeah um, that is uh, quite interesting because uh, here we have an example of Canaanites having their head of pantheon circumcised yeah and we don't know that much about uh, that uh, West Semitic practice. We know a lot about the Jewish practice, right. but much, much, much later. Here we are at the end of the Bronze Age. Well, whatever we have in the Bible is definitely uh, influenced by the time when it was uh, finalized, which will be uh, like definitely... Uh, the end of the Persian time, Hellenistic times. Uh, so, you know, it is uh, layered over by the daily practice of uh, Jewish uh, communities of faith. Uh, but it looks like uh, among the West, Northwest Semites, uh, circumcision was practiced and its origins were not a ritual of passage of newborn babies like it became uh, in Judaism later, but its origins were um, as a ritual, ritual of passage uh, with the passage uh, for wedding. Mm. Uh, among Arabs, it is a ritual of passage for adolescents and clearly was around, but um, in in the oldest layers, it looks like being in a ritual of passage. Here, El is being prepared for the wedding mm -hmm. uh, with Asherah and Rachmai, and eventually giving birth to those two gods. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that image is really going from viticulture because you need to prune to have it fertile. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so here we are having the pruning of his penis right. <laughs> to make it uh, wow. fertile. Um, probably. Uh, the other thing is to maybe to keep demon of blood, mm. to which was at the consummation of marriage present. Uh, to to balance the blood of bride and blood of groom, mm -hmm. 
that is a possibility here. So uh, there are other hints, just just faint hints uh, in quite obscure uh, biblical stories and passages, uh, which are pointing the direction as well. One is uh, the wedding or uh, of the story, uh, unfortunate and sorrow story of Dina and Shechem. You know, when he takes her, uh, the, the Dina is the sister, the only named sister of the 12 brothers mm-hmm. of uh, Israel, of Jacob. And Shechem is uh, a young man uh, of the same name as a city. <laughs> who supposedly rapes her or takes her and then in order to get a blessing from the family uh, accepts the circumcision and is circumcised and uh, when he is in pain and all his household they get killed Mm. as in vengeance uh, over you know, that disgrace of mm-hmm. uh, the sister uh, of um, or daughter of, of Jacob being raped uh, by, by her brothers. Mm-hmm. So that's one example where it is associated with uh, marriage. But then there is even more obscure passage in Exodus uh, as Moses is returning back after seeing uh, or being called uh, by God in the burning bush and receiving his call to go back to Egypt and liberate his people. Uh, on his way there, overnight, <laughs> he is being attacked by God and almost killed, but his wife takes an, um, takes an flint knife, circumcises... Uh, his uncircumcised son touches with a foreskin, blooded foreskin, just circumcised his feet, and that way saves him. And at that moment, she pronounces, you are my bridegroom, it is sealed in the blood, or you are the bridegroom by blood, or, you know, the language here is rather archaic, very difficult to, to read, or to interpret. Uh, also, the same thing is about, you know, whose feet is she really touching? Mm-hmm. That's the other thing, because uh, the pronouns are kind of, it can be feet of her son, it can be feet of Moses, it can be feet uh, of God, uh, who knows, <laughs> yeah. really, here. But uh, that pronunciation of the marriage interconnected with uh, circumcision and even using the word of uh, the word for bridegroom which is derived from or is interconnected in Semitic languages with circumcision is is interesting 
And so the theory goes, really, that uh, originally it was really an uh, it was a ritual of marriage, like we talked about it, uh, and uh, just as the bride was examined by the female members of the groom's family, <laughs> uh, right. uh, groom was circumcised by his father-in-law wow. uh, or under the supervision of his father-in-law uh, and uh, that way it was uh, auspicious and and led into fertility of, mm -hmm. of their family mm. um, and there are two potential ways of how to see the circumcision then making its way into more traditional Jewish uh, practice as it is now being circumcised uh, uh, as an eighth year eight days uh, old baby you know so and there are several ways how we can see this ancient tradition morphing into the current Jewish practice uh, one is uh, theological and one is almost pragmatic and uh, that pragmatic one is uh, just as we saw in that Dina and Shechem story which can be like a warning story or warning myth uh, saying be aware <laughs> because you are becoming extremely vulnerable Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, you cannot circumcise someone who is or have been already or had been already circumcised. Mm -hmm. So, having the circumcision done by your own family members. Oh, no, that makes sense, yes. Uh, uh, it's a, very similar to, to, to examining the bride then, in yes, a way. Because yeah, it yeah. can't be undone. Like, whatever, you, you're checking to see if something has been done. Yes, yeah, and and, <laughs> uh, and, and uh, so, uh, yes, uh, that, that would explain of moving the circumcision into uh, maturity ritual. Yes. Like we have it uh, documented uh, in a number of cultures, including uh, among Arabs. Yeah. And uh, maybe even earlier then. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, in among the Jews mm. uh, so uh, that'll be almost like protection of their own assets <laughs> because right. you know people were the most valuable uh, members of the family uh, that you, you want to protect your tribe you want to grow it not diminish it yeah, and yeah. uh, uh, uh reproductive age people are the most valuable right so you want to protect them uh, that that's that pragmatic explanation then there is a theological explanation going with it because you know what is uh, the highest or strongest uh, human covenant we normally have and that is the covenant of marriage and so it was uh, theologically 
used to symbolize the covenant between God and, and God's people. So what was an symbol or ritual of the covenant of marriage became the symbol or an ritual of the covenant between God and God's people. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, e e even it's going all the way up to, you know, Jesus is the bride oh, yeah, of the yeah, church. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this, uh, the, this kind of language yeah. uh, which is being used uh, through the Hebrew Bible. The, you know, you are mentioning New Testament yeah. examples and more like even... Uh, New Testament and then Christian language, uh, medieval language. Uh, but uh, you can go further uh, back and, and you have the same language used about Jerusalem and God. Mm. So, you, you know, and she is a bride and, and, and uh, God is a groom, for yeah. instance, and so on. So that is, uh, that is all those metaphors which are here playing a role. Uh, and, and, you know, theology is substantially just a uh, sophisticated way of working with metaphors. Mm -hmm. And so here you have an, an example of how uh, one ritual is actually being uh, morphed into another one mm -hmm. and uh, becomes that. So this is how Ugaritic literature can kind of help us to lift up certain aspects yes. in the uh, Hebrew Bible say and then yes. expand it and, and deepen our understanding uh, of of other biblical metaphors like we just yeah. discussed yeah. so uh, I, I thought that that might be an uh, interesting part there are some other aspects of that uh, uh, in, in the ritual because uh, part of that is also it seems uh, in that text that there are like an, a treatment for uh, impotency mm. or, or something like that like mm -hmm. magical rituals mm -hmm. uh, associated with that uh, so besides circumcision there are some other aspects of that and it's very difficult to discern because it's just one text it's as I said a mixture of liturgy ritual and myth yeah uh, mashed together substantially and um, it's it's, it's difficult to read uh, yeah. in that respect, but uh, there are uh, there are some even with our limited understanding yeah. of its original setting and meaning, we can still discern from it uh, enough to enlighten uh, you know uh, other biblical passages and yeah. our faith. Yeah, well. I, want, I must say, when uh, when you first started talking about circumcision, I thought that this would be a lot more painful. But uh, <laughs> this has been quite enlightening, like you're saying. Ugaritic is really, uh, and Ugaritic texts uh, are really a very rich resource for our understanding really of our own faith. Yeah. Definitely for the understanding of the Hebrew Bible and uh, uh, for f generally, because th these are the roots from which it grows. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this episode, that uh, 
this is Bronze Age. Yeah. Uh, Hebrew Bible uh, reflects the development from that period, really, right. uh, until it was fixated in writing uh, much later. Yeah. And and we know that the the, the final it did not reach the final uh, format until Roman period. Right. Uh, definitely, you know, being written throughout the Persian period and uh, written down through the Hellenistic time, but it was yeah. still at flux and, and it was uh, evolving and developing. There were several versions uh, of, of Hebrew uh, Bible texts uh, and, and even individual books and uh, Torah. Uh, you know, until now we have Samaritan Torah, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is different from uh, from the Hebrew Bible Torah, right, right, right. Uh, Masoretic uh, Torah. So, uh, but through Gerrit, we see really deep down uh, to its origins. Thank you for taking us along on mm -hmm. this journey. Thanks once again.